0: was a dentist, right? Wasn't even a preacher praying in the basement. Thank you. Uh, Many of us were blessed with godly, godly fathers who have shown us the way. Others of us weren't, but we have an amazing Heavenly Father who can fill that void. And it also shows us that there are those around us who may need some influence from us. Those who may not be related to us through a bloodline, but just could use a presence of a dad in their lives. So I encourage you uh, to be a dad. Even if you're, you're not a dad, be one somewhere to somebody. Thank you, Charlie. Well, we're finishing up. This is the last one. Can you, can you say them with me? <clears throat> it's a cheat sheet here. Uh, let's do it. Let's just say the verse together. How's that? Ready? But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. There you go. I I didn't want to give you a cheat sheet. There's no law against these things. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Paul reminds us there is absolutely no law against any of these. None whatsoever none. Today is number nine, self-control. Self-control. Seems to be a novel concept these days, doesn't it? Why do we need self-control? We've worked for it, why can't we have it? It's our right, right? If it's there, take it. If you want it, have it. If you need it, go get it. If it makes you feel good, go do it. Self-control, what's that all about? Uh, you know, I've, I'm afraid that my generation, uh, we really missed it. We've, we've thought that indulging ourselves in everything that comes, in, comes along, just gorging ourselves on life, is the way to happiness. And you know, like Isabel related, I'm 39, I'm not quite 40, but I have so many people I went to high school with, friends of mine, who have lived that lifestyle for 20 years now and who have, are empty at this point. They've done it all, they've had it all, they've bought it all, they've seen it all, but yet they're empty inside. Self-control, what's that mean? It means you can never have chocolate the rest of your life, right? It means you know exactly how many points that hamburger at Chili's has, and that means you can't eat anything the rest of the day. Self-control means what? What's that, Robert? Biting your tongue. tongue. There you go. Not saying what you think you ought to say, maybe sometimes. What else does self-control mean? Controlling yourself. Well, you know, that's exactly what the Greek philosopher said. That was the height of knowledge, was to be able to master you, to be your master. And they would work to do that. They would think high thoughts, and they would discipline themselves so that their, ma- their bodies were not in control of them. They were in complete control of their bodies. Their minds were not in control of them. They were in control of their minds. That was the height of intellectual, uh, the reality of the intellect that day. But you know, it's not very far from what the Hebrews thought as well. Because we have this law, this huge law, this long list of things that we can't do, and the only way you can ever keep the law is by mastering yourself so that you kept the law, so that you didn't do this and you did do this. Sometimes self-control isn't not doing, it's doing. Doing when it's hard, doing when it's difficult, doing when you don't want to. I have to admit, I hate taking out the trash from our little fenced-in area in the back all the way down the driveway, uh, down that slope. And uh, There are times where I let it go uh, an extra week and then I pay for it because then i got to take both trash cans down. You know, but if I would just done it, had the control to say I'm going to do it right now, I would never have that problem. Never. Never. A little self-disclosure there. Y'all keep me accountable. Ask me on Wednesday nights, are you going to take your trash out? Uh, before I go, when you see me leave or you leave on Wednesday nights, say remember to take your trash out. That'll help me out a lot. Self-control. What's it mean for us? I, I think it's a matter of just answering this question who's in control? So, who is in control? Sometimes we're controlled, we're by ourselves. We do really well at that. And we work to that, and that's why we, we, we kind of discipline ourselves and say, I'm not going to eat 12 desserts today because I know it's not good for me. You know? You, I have two kids. One of those is going to be very self-controlled. The other one is not. Um, I'll let you figure out who is who. Uh, But we know if we let one of them eat sweets all day, and that's all they they had, that they would do that. The other one would eat a vegetable, would eat some fruit if they had the choice. Uh, So sometimes we are absolutely in control of ourselves. There are some times when we're not. We let other things control us. Outside circumstances, outside influence, habits, absolutely control us. You know, Paul was reminding the Ephesians uh, to not let anything control them. Nothing control them. You know, uh, I haven't seen the movie Hangover yet, but I understand the concept. A bunch of people who have allowed themselves to be controlled by something and have no idea what they did because of it. I don't want to be there. Paul reminds the Ephesians, don't be drunk with wine. Don't let something control you to an extent that you have no idea what you're doing. Don't let anything else control you. Don't let anything Control you. Oh, accept. Accept the Holy Spirit. Don't get drunk with wine because it's going to ruin your life. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be the only thing that controls you. So actually, the idea of self-control is a fallacy when it comes to the Christian life. It's not self-control. It's spirit control. It's actually saying, I'm not in control of my life anymore. I'm going to let something else have influence and guide me and direct me in every aspect of my life. And that's the Holy Spirit. I advocate control of my life. And that's how you gain self-control. Letting go and allowing the Spirit to be your guide. That's what Paul has been talking about all in Galatians. That's what these nine weeks have been all about, about letting go of the, us trying to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and faithfulness, because we can't do that. And when we try to do it ourselves, our bodies that have been hijacked by sin, our flesh that's been hijacked by sin, leads us down a road that's going to lead us to death. You know, I, a few years ago, I did a series called Good, Things go, Good, Good Gifts Gone Wrong. But all the wonderful things that God has given us that we've really messed up, you know, from money to sex to the world we live in to relationships. God has given us so many wonderful things, but we have a tendency, if we're guided by just our bodies and our desires and kind of how we feel like we're wired, we blow it. We destroy it. We destroy us. Self-control is really spirit control. How does he start off this section? If you remember, we talked about this nine weeks ago. Uh, In Galatians chapter 5, that's where we've been in. But verse 16, he says this, So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you're not going to be doing what your sinful nature or your flesh craves. You know, uh, one of my favorite shows these days is Top Gear. Anybody ever seen that, the British version? You know what I'm talking about? Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Girls, you have no idea what I'm talking about. Probably. Some of you may, uh, but most of you are like, what's that? Cars? Anyway, they get to drive supercars, like half a million dollar cars. And the thing about it, they're so powerful. They are so powerful. They have like 600 horsepower. That's like, for those of you who don't understand horsepower, that's like having 600 horses inside your car. That's how much energy is produced by that motor. That's a lot. They are so powerful that you can't drive them unless there's a a super sophisticated computer that that rivals anything at a space station. That keeps it in control for you. You have to set all these buttons and things, and they say as soon as you turn that button off and let it just be by itself, that's when you end up against a tree. Or in a ditch or off a ravine. Because you think you can handle it, but you can't. Many of us think we can handle life, but we just simply can't. We're driving, but what we need is the Holy Spirit to corral us in. To guide us, to lead us down the right path. To not let us veer off the side of the road. Let the Spirit guide your lives. So how do we do that? If you have a pen and paper today, I encourage you to just write these down. There me three of them. Actually, four of them. Number one is this. Know your weakness. I could go around here right now and I could ask you what your weakness is, and you would tell me. Well, maybe not in public, but you could tell me what it is. So I not you think of it right now. What is your weakness? What is the area in your life where self-control seems so difficult? It could be anything. And what may be difficult for me, you may have no absolute problem with at all. It's easy for you. Why do you have a problem with that? That's easy. And what's difficult for you, I'm thinking, that doesn't make sense. I have no problem with that. Or we're each wired differently, so we each have a weakness. We each have a uh a weakness in our armor. So you have to know that. You have to know that. And how do you really become aware of that? If you're not aware of it, pray this prayer. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. The psalmist is saying, okay, point out my weaknesses. Uh, Have you had your annual review lately? Anybody had one recently? Isn't that fun? Don't you just wish you had annual reviews every week? Because, you know, there's the good things that they say, you're doing a great job with this, we like this, we like this, we like this. And then what do they come back to? They point out what? Your weaknesses. They're like, you don't have to say that, I already know that. I know I stink at that. I'm trying. I'm working on that area. You don't have to point it out to me again. Well, the psalmist is giving God permission to point out the weakness in our life and saying, this is where you need my help. Let me help you. A good manager or supervisor will know your weakness and say, I understand you. I hired you with that weakness. Let me help you with that. Let me shore you up in that area. But if we deny we ever have a weakness, then there's no way anybody else can help us, is there? Oh, I'm a wonderful organizer. Have you seen your backseat of your car lately? Oh, I I have no problem with deadlines. Why come you haven't met one all this year? know, Know your weakness. I can have one drink. It's okay. I'll tell you, I can have one. It's okay. For many of you, you can't. That's why we as a church just say, don't. Let's not. For many of us guys, it's just, oh, I'm just going to look, look at this. I won't go any further. But it's our weakness. For ladies, you may long for a, a conversation from someone who actually listens to, to you. And that's your weakness somebody who will actually listen. Husbands, listen to your wives, number one. Number two, wives, don't talk to anybody else who's a guy. It's a weakness. It's a weakness. Your weakness may not be that. It may be that. maybe God may be screaming at you right now. This is your weakness. Wake up. Be aware of it. Besides, where you'd said, know your weakness, you may just want to write down your weakness. It's not to share with anybody, you don't have to, we're not going to broadcast, we're not even going to nail these to the cross, this is just for you. What's your weakness? Paul knew his weakness. We don't know it, we wish we did. He talks around it, talks about it, he never actually comes out and tells us what it is, but he says this, I realize that my, he hears this from God, my grace is all you need, my power works best in your weakness. So I'm glad to boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. When you know your weakness, when you allow God to work through your weakness, you're allowing God to do a miracle in your life. When you say, God, I need your help in this area, and he comes through, that's a miracle. When every other time you've given in, and at this point you don't, because you've allowed God to work in your life, guess what that is? That's a miracle. That's something to celebrate. So, when we know our weakness and we allow God to, to make His plan perfect through our weakness, then that's pretty amazing. We get to see the miraculous happen. Something else I want you to do, though, is to know your red line. Uh, you know, watching Top Gear, I know what a red line is on a car, right? What's that? That's the point where the revs don't need to go there. If they stay in the red line, what's going to happen? You're going to have a half a million dollar car that doesn't work anymore. Or you're going to have a $10,000 car that doesn't work anymore. Uh, I had a, a, a Bronco 2 in, in college. It was awesome. 87 Bronco, silver and blue. I loved that thing. Except the time where I forgot to put it in overdrive. So I'm on the interstate going 72 miles an hour in third gear. It's not really good on an engine. I wouldn't recommend it. It redlined and I didn't know it. Broke it. Well, a guy uh, by the name of Jeff Wise wrote a recent article in, actually in the January, February uh, issue of Psychology Today. And he's, a, he's an outdoors guy, he's a pilot, he's an explorer, he's a guide into the wilderness. And uh, he wrote this article called Deadly Mind Traps. And this is not from a Christian perspective, it's from an outdoors perspective. Uh, Just some things, and he talked about how uh, people die climbing Mount Everest every year. In May, in the second week in May, uh, four people died alone in one day, trying to climb Mount Everest. The last weekend in May, 200 were going to attempt it. A guy by the name of uh, uh, Robert Hall... As a guide, or was a guide, he was to take about uh, 8 to 10 people up on an expedition. Some of those people had paid $65,000 for this opportunity to climb Mount Everest. To be at the top, to be at the highest point in the earth. Now they say that if, uh, if you gradually make your way up there and acclimate yourself to the environment up there, to the thin air, to the cold, you can possibly survive. If you were in a climate-controlled helicopter or airplane and they just dropped you off right there, you would die instantly because you're not acclimated to it. It's so foreign to what we're normally used to. Well, there's a time you set off in the morning if the weather's right. There's also a time that says we're coming back here. No matter what, even if we're not to the top, we have to come back by that time. Because if you don't, then guess what? The winds begin to, uh, to, to howl, the storms begin to, to come in, and chances of you making it back alive are slim to none. Well, Robert Hall had been doing this for years. He took this group up there, and two o'clock was their turnaround time. Two o'clock was their red line. That was the, stop, the point where they had to turn around, even if somebody who paid $65,000 for that trip hadn't made it yet. Or well, for whatever reason, he allowed the money and the Willingness to let everybody get up there. Cloud his vision. Cloud his thought. And by the time the last person got up there, it wasn't two o'clock, it was four o'clock. And they made their way down just in time for a storm to hit. And everyone in the expedition died. They redlined it. They said it. That's my limit. I know that's my safe zone, but I can go up against it, and I can even go past it for a little bit because I'm strong enough. I'm smarter than this mountain. I can do this. It says divers do this all the time. They know what their tank says. They know what they have to get back up to the, the surface, but there's that one more wreck they haven't seen yet, and they're never going to get a chance to come back, and so they redline it. They go past the line of safety, and then no one ever sees them again or hears from them again. It happens all the time, and it happens to us all the time spiritually as well. Mr. Wise says this. He says, it's easy to think I'll go over the red line a bit. What's the big deal? The problem is that once we do, there are no more cues reminding us that we're heading in the wrong direction. A little bit becomes a little bit more, and at some point it becomes too much. Nothing's calling us back to the safe side. Okay, you know your weakness? Where's your red line? Where is your safe zone? If we're honest, for most of us, actually for all of us, our red line should be a whole lot closer to us than we, we set out, than we say. We think we're stronger than we are. We think we we give ourselves way too much credit to be able to stand up to temptation. The red line is the first warning point that says, okay, you don't need to go past this. I know you can. You're a big boy. You're an adult. You can make your own choices. But I can tell you, if you go past this line, it's trouble. That's the reason we have big rails over the side of uh, uh, the Grand Canyon. They say, you know, this is a great place to see, spot to see the Grand Canyon. I know you're an adult. You could cross that line and get closer to the edge if you wanted to. And many people have done that. And many people have slipped and fallen and died. We don't like boundaries. We don't like barriers because they say, well, you're not big enough to make your own decisions. You have to put up a boundary, a boundary. A corral, a playpen for yourself. Well, the Holy Spirit is your guide. The Holy Spirit's going to help you make all kinds of red lines. Where's your red line? When I was a youth pastor, I would talk with uh, my students, and uh, we talked about you know saving yourself for marriage, and how my favorite question was, well, how far is too far? a whole lot further than what you're thinking right now, for one. But I, I had a great, great student guy who was, he, he, he was on the ball. You know, he, he really was working to, to be all that God wanted him to be. And he said, you know, I, it's so hard for me to stop. How can I stop? And I'm saying, well, where are you trying to stop? Well, when we're alone at her house and her parents aren't home, I'm like, your red line is about three miles away. First Corinthians ten thirteen, Paul reminds us, the temptations in your life are no different than what everybody else experiences, but God is faithful. He will not allow you to allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. That's a promise from God. He will not let you be be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure that temptation. And my friend was saying, well, where's God in that moment? I'm saying he's screaming as loud as he can in your head, but your head is not there. You can't hear his voice at that point. You know when you heard his voice most clearly? When she called up and said, hey, my parents aren't here. There's your red line. Not when you're alone in the bedroom with her. You're way past the red line there. Can God still work in there? Can God still be faithful? Yes. But where does God most effectively faithful in your life? When can you actually hear him in your life? When you get the text. When you get the phone call. Where's your red line? Wherever it is, erase it, and draw it two steps closer to you right now. We like to dance against the red line. Don't do it. The Proverbs are so full, so full of such good wisdom. One of my favorite ones is this. As iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Know someone else. Know your weakness, know your red line, and know someone else. Or better yet, let someone else know you. Let somebody else know where your, red, where your weakness is. Let somebody else know where your red line is and give somebody else the authority to ask you about them. What are they? You know, I think most of us are, you know, we're just scared that, of what somebody's going to think. Well, that's your weakness? Man, you call yourself a Christian? How can you be tempted with that? Or, you know, I thought you were a whole lot more mature than that in your faith. Or they may make us draw a red line that's a whole lot closer than what I'm an adult and I'm able to do. But having someone in your life that asks you the questions, that helps you mark the red lines in your life, to say, I can't go this far. I can't. My granddad, my dad's dad, was an alcoholic. My dad grew up in an alcoholic's home. Uh, he was late to his first date with my mom because my granddad got into a wreck, a little fender bender, and uh, my dad was waiting on the car to be able to go pick up my mom, and so he was a little bit late for that. Uh, my dad, before he was a Christian, he didn't become a Christian until, his, uh, until a little bit later in life. Never touched alcohol. His dad was his red line for him. He said, I am never going there. My family, it's not going to be us. I lived in that. My granddad couldn't draw that line for himself. He got to a point where he said, you know, I need somebody to help me with this. And so he went to an AA meeting. And for the rest of his life, He went to AA meetings because he knew he needed somebody to keep him accountable. He needed somebody to say, Is your red line still there? How close have you gotten to it? How can I help you stay away from it? It's okay to say you're weak. Actually, it's absolutely Christian to say, I am weak. I need help. I want to pray for you. On a day like today, you know, uh, you're welcome to come down to the altars. You are. Nobody's going to look at us and say, well, I wonder what their weakness is. If you're wondering that, you probably need to be dealing with your own weakness. But if you just need to come and pray, I'd love for you to. It's here. If you need to stay right there, that's fine as well. But I want to pray for you today. I want to pray that God speaks loudly, so loudly to you that you can't miss what your weakness is. Maybe you have more than one weakness. Probably we do. Let's deal with the first one first. How's that? One thing I've noticed is the further we get along in our Christian life, God deals with the big things first, and then he begins to hone us in and he keeps dealing with the weaknesses in our lives. But allow God to say, this is your weakness, this is what we're going to work with first, and let him take control of your life. You'll never be able to to stay away from the red lines by yourself. But what if next time you realize you're being drawn that direction, you way before the red line say this prayer, Lord, give me strength in this temptation. Instead of rationalizing that I'm big enough, I can handle this, it's just one look, it's just one drink, it's just one taste, it's just one conversation, we just say, You know, God, help me that I don't even get close to it today. Draw the, the, the line so clearly around me that I will never go past that today. You may have to say that prayer every day for the rest of your life, but God is faithful. God is faithful. Let me pray for you today. Lord, I am grateful for your grace that gives us second chances. Lord, each of us have a weakness, and many of us have more than one. But all of us have that area that we struggle with, that area that we, we think we're, we've got it all fixed and then we find ourselves, if we just allow ourselves to be led by what we think down that path again, Lord, I pray that right now that we would each, in this moment, give ourselves completely over to your spirit's leadership. That you would sanctify us to a, such, a, such a degree that we are completely led by and filled by your Holy Spirit. That our wants and desires aren't our wants and desires, they're yours as relate to us through your Spirit in our lives. Lord, I pray that you would remind us once again what those weaknesses are. And Lord, that you would help us to draw the lines very, very conservative lines. Lines that help us to understand that we are not nearly as strong as we think we are. And Lord, give us the strength through your power to stay away from those lines. Even when a world around us says, it's okay, what's wrong with it? Why not indulge? We know that's not what you wanted for us. We know you've got a better plan for us. Lord, I pray that you bring people into our lives, good friends that we can be honest with, friends who love you and love us, friends that uh, we can share our weaknesses with, that can help us draw the red lines, friends that expect us to do the same thing for them as well. Help us to sharpen each other just like iron does, sharpens iron, Lord. Lord, I pray that there would be some folks here that are completely different today. Because we've allowed you to do some work in our lives, we've given you complete control, and we want to be led by you. Because it's not self-control we want; it's your control in our life. I thank you for your presence, thank you for your spirit, thank you for your word, and thank you for, for such a wonderful community that says, "Let us help you." each other down this road.